You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 470, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwaterer. Hey, Nick, how are you doing? Hey, Brittany, I'm doing well. It's good to check in. It's very different here in Belfast from the last time we chatted. It's the days are officially long again. I woke up and thought, oh, it's time to go to work. And the birds are singing this morning and it was 440 in the morning. So yeah, I'm not liking that at all. But this is the nature of Belfast. Very long days in the summer, very short days in the winter. But yeah, what's new with you? I know last time we spoke that you had some big changes upcoming with your life and your career. Oh, yeah. So been about three and a half weeks now. I am now an engineering manager at Shogun, which is a page builder on top of Shopify and BigCommerce. So a little bit tangential to you, Nick, which is kind of cool. Onboarding has been kind of a wild ride. I take onboarding almost like a challenge, like how fast can I onboard and be effective? And I think that has gone well so far. It's an interesting dynamic here because as a Texas, I was the only engineering manager. Yeah. And now I have multiple engineering managers that I can learn from. And my boss, the director of engineering, was on vacation for the first two weeks that I was at here. And then I had RailsConf. So I only just got to recently talk to my boss and like sync up with him. I think the interesting dynamic for me at Shogun is A, I've barely downloaded the code base, which is unusual for me. I'm very used to being an IC at Textus. I had gotten away from coding day to day, but like I still was able to read the code base. So I haven't dived too deeply into that. I've really been focused on the people part of it. And two, Shogun this year pivoted from one product to another. And so my team is made up of engineers who have been working on page builder, which is like our main product for a couple of months. So in some ways, a lot of the team is new to the product too, which means that we get to learn together. And then I would say the last big change for me is this is an agile environment. I'm very much used to like a Kanban situation. And so I did agile when I was in product management, but this has been a change for me to get back into sprint planning. And I've done retros before, but like backlog grooming and all of that. So that has been different. I actually don't know, Nick, are you currently operating on agile? Like how do you allocate all of your work? The interesting part, there might be formal documentation on this, but I feel that the way Shopify runs is teams kind of figure out what works for them. So like I've been on maybe three different teams at Shopify and even just like how you do stand-ups or check-ins or syncs or team rituals or backlog grooming or whatever, it seems particular to the team. So there are things that are common, like we use GitHub as our source of truth. We use Git projects and boards quite religiously for what's going on and what are you doing? I've had a hand in improving some of those things, but I'm interested for years So when you say agile, so like is the setup now, obviously at any point for you or me, we work for private companies. If you can't say a thing, you can't say a thing. Yeah. Would these be the hallmarks? Like, all right, we have a two week sprint at the end of the sprint. We always have a retro. We do the backlog grooming. We agree before the sprint, what we're going to be doing. We possibly do the point poker thing to break down the size of issues and then velocity. And we just try and get everything in our stack of work done in those two weeks? Is that kind of how, maybe there's even a scrum master involved? I don't know. 
You absolutely nailed it. I wouldn't say that we have an official scrum master. It feels like every company that I've been to, they're like, we're going to try a point system and see how this goes and try to add story points along the way. I have yet to work at a company that has like truly nailed the point system down. So I'd like to see that happen at Shogun. It's really hard. It's really hard to estimate how many points something's going to take. But I think the key thing is having the diligence to go back and update the points once you've actually done the thing. So that way you can actually get some learnings from it. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking daily standups, which, again, is unusual for me. And, you know, in the theme of me always asking you for advice, I do have a bit of advice that I was going to ask from you, if that's okay, Nick. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Yeah. So I run these daily standups. I have currently nine engineers And sometimes I think we all get a little caught up. We get excited to talk about what we're talking about. Sometimes engineers can go a bit long. Have you ever seen like a good way to be able to combat that? So that way you stay on topic and you keep that stand up short. I can think of two permutations I've seen that I found interesting that aren't exactly the same. So they're not exactly like 30 minutes at the same time every day, but it's still trying to accomplish what a stand up accomplishes. The first one, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend, is I've seen where folks just do it twice a week. I don't think it is an hour, but it's quick. I think that really misses out on the daily part of it. So I wouldn't recommend that. But one thing that I think I can say that we're doing now on my very small teams, like four or five people, so even less, is I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just saying this is my thinking. I don't know if it's like known tool, geek bot or whatever, but we have an ongoing bot that would ask a set of questions. How are you feeling today? You answer it. What'd you do yesterday? You answer it. What are you doing today? You answer any blockers and you answer it. And it feeds into our team channel. And it also feeds into a mega channel for like larger groups of teams. So everyone can have visibility. But what's interesting about that is we're very distributed. So it supports asynchronous very well. Like we're literally like Japan, France, USA, Canada, but It also supports remembering what you talked about because you can, and also linking. So like I can link the PRs and the docs and the conversations and the Slack threads into this conversation, as opposed to sometimes in a standup, I'll say, oh, this is going on. Oh, I'll send you the link after the standup. So the downside with this is you still, I think, need some amount of face-to-face time with your team to see them. So maybe this needs to be complemented with a longer, like a at least half hour week, weekly sync, or maybe you get that with your sprint planning and backlog grooming meetings. Maybe that is, but like, I think it's always important to at least, because somebody could be writing something in text, but then you see them, look them in the eyes. You're like, oh, something's going on here. They don't sound like they're okay. Yeah. Anyway, there's my advice, Brittany. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I actually like that advice a lot. One of my employees said that at a past job, they had a word that if someone was going too far down a tangent, you just threw that word out. And then it was kind of like an understanding that if that word got thrown out, you're going to take that offline. I think they use pineapple. (laughs) Mm. I think you could have a lot of fun like choosing that word on the team. I just don't want to be rude. And to your point, Nick, I have employees now. So with Shogun, it's stretched across many time zones as well. I have an employee in Spain and then I have one in Vancouver. So you've got like a wide range of time zones in there. And so just being able to keep that concise, I think is super important. So this is really good advice. I appreciate it. 
And one other thing I'd say, though, is if you're Mm -hmm. like, well, we absolutely have to do this stand up in this meeting. What's the advice Mm -hmm. for that? I've had the issues with this, not necessarily for stand ups. And I think I just want to say this as somebody who is not good at correcting people on these kinds of things, because I'm great at providing a lot of feedback, I think, but it can really hurt someone's feelings to be cut off. So the way that I would probably do it is just as a ritual during the meeting, saying things that kind of keep people on pace, like now I am conscious for time. I say that we're like, okay, I see we have eight minutes left. And then if you have a culture around, like just dropping those things in the meeting, just like without enforcing it, then after maybe three or four of those meetings, if they're used to hearing you say, I'm conscious of time over and over, then maybe you can come in and say, oh yeah, let's take this offline and we'll circle back on that. That sounds really good. Or if I catch myself doing it, I'm like, I'm bike shedding. Sorry. I apologize. (laughs) I got excited and it's been five minutes that we didn't need to spend talking about Slack integrations or something. You're so right though, because you don't want to kill the excitement. You want people to be excited about the things that they're working on. But it's so important that like, if you have blockers, like you're not coming there just to reiterate the blockers that you've already listed out in the ticket. Want there to be a trust within the team that if you write something, I've read it. And so I think because I'm new to the team, I think just building up that trust is going to be a big part of it as well. Final tip, just make them listen to this episode. They're going to know how you feel. This could be your long-term managing tip is to passively say things to me that you're just like, want them to know, but you don't want to say it directly to them. And they say, (laughs) oh, hey, did you listen to the podcast? Nick was on. He's the best. And then they'll hear, oh, okay, I'm going to be good at, you know, but it's a good question. I don't know if any of them listen to me yet. So if you're listening, please DM me on Slack. I am interested. (laughs) Yeah. Hello to what would you do? You have a term like I know we jokingly have shop folk. Would you be like Shogunians? Oh, that is a great question. When I was onboarding, they actually... So the great thing about Shogun, so well-documented, Nick. I have never seen a company that is so well-documented. They literally have a Notion page that explains the nickname that they have and how the voting process worked. It was Shogi versus Shogunner and Shogi won. So I am now a certified Shogi. So (laughs) I kind of love the nicknames. I think it can be really silly, but I think it definitely lends to culture. Yeah, 100%. And I think every place has their own culture. So you're getting to see this with fresh eyes as well and how it is. And every place kind of has, you know, the benefits and negatives. And I think we're just lucky that as we keep going in our career, I used to think that if I worked hard, I would become the best at things. And that is kind of true. But I found just existing and doing the craft over time, there is something that builds. So now that you're here, you've had the culture of a few different places and you're coming in with that knowledge. And so things that they do that are unique or quite good, you're going to have that context to know it as opposed to like, if it's someone's first job, they're like, oh, this is how it is. Yeah, you're totally right. Because I've worked at several places, I'm getting farther and farther into my engineering management career. It is the situation where I'm coming in here and I want to make some changes, but I don't want to be the person who comes in with a hammer and just tries to make like a ton of changes. But one thing that we're already doing is the team was pairing on and off, but like they didn't have standing pairing sessions. So this week I instituted standardized pairing sessions across the team just to get more face-to-face time with each other. We got Tuple. I love Tuple. So like, I know Tuple's whole plan is that you leave a company and you bring it to another company. And I did just that. So that is working. Yeah, I'm very curious to see it. Like I'm essentially going to be running little experiments within team to see which else. That means we can pair, I believe, cross-org pairing with If you have Tuple, right? You sure can. I love that about that. You just have to know the person's email address and you can add them as a contact. And I got to say, it holds up. It scales well. Why? Because I have at least, 
I don't know if everyone who's not Inge has it, but somewhere between two to 10,000 people at work on it. And it knows who I last paired with. It suggests that because, you know, I've done it with like four people and you're like, you just see them because there's a lot of tooling I get to use at work and I see it struggle with our size, right? Like, yeah. like searching is not very fast with several millions of lines of code, which is getting better. But the fact that the Tuple and Ornstein and co have like said, well, what if we actually had a customer with thousands of people on this? Yeah, let's make sure it works great. And it does. And they keep improving it. I think now you have, I haven't tested it out, but I think you can have quite a few people watching one shared screen now. You can, which was a game changer for me, just because I'm not typically like a big advocate of mob programming, but during an incident, I actually really like having that ability. So oh, that's a great idea. I was on an incident on Friday and it would have been so great to just sit on someone else's computer while they were like talking it through. But as an observer, you know, this sounds terrible. And I've said this to a couple of people at my last job. Sometimes incidents are the most bonding experiences just because it tends to be everybody getting onto a call. There isn't a lot you can do right away. You tend to have a central person who's like troubleshooting or like executing a script or like digging through the logs. And in some ways, there can be a lot of levity that's brought to an incident just because someone's running communications and there's a lot of downtime, right? And so you get to chat with each other and yeah. you don't want incidents for that reason. Part of my challenge is like, how do I create those situations organically? Yeah. As an engineering manager or an engineer, too much of your time gets sucked up with downtime issues, troubleshooting and error tracking. How can you spend more time shipping code and less time putting out fires? This is a question I'm always asking myself. Well, Honey Badger is how. It's a suite of monitoring tools made specifically for developers. It's the only system that combines error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron and heartbeat monitoring into one clean, fast interface. Sure, you can get familiar with any interface, but why waste your time learning some Franken-style interface that looks like an airline cockpit when what you need is clarity and speed? You won't know if Honey Badger will really save you time and trouble until you can see how it works in your own tool chain. With two lines of code in five minutes, you can see for yourself. Honey Badger automatically hooks into popular web frameworks like Ruby on Rails, job systems, authentication libraries, and front-end JavaScript. Imagine fixing errors before your users can even report them. Five minutes of your time with a free trial is all it takes to see if it will work for you. It just might be the best five minutes you've spent in a long while. Check out honeybadger.io. I know we hadn't kind of thought about talking about incidents, but I'd love to poke at that a little bit more. Yeah, like, for it. I was on call last week and I was pulled into something that started that looked like it was my fault on something innocuous I did. And it was terrible because I don't have a lot of cycles under my belt with the main application having a, something that we have to page people for. I've worked a lot on internal tooling, open source stuff, you know, like not the core monolith. And so I am scared. A lot of people are pinging at Schwad that I don't know who they are and they aren't mad, but it's just like, it's going down. Let's go. And I'm not speaking of any specifics of it, like it's private information. But as far as the experience, what I've learned through that is that I had so much fear because of how little I knew going in. But I realized that you'll probably understand what I say how much power I had in being able to leverage my Nick skills. Yes. So I couldn't do that. Oh, just do this. Oh, it's just that. I didn't have that level of context and understanding. I didn't even know like who we should page it, you know, like someone else is running it. But what I said is things like, okay, 
I understand. You have my full attention. I'm here. I'm not going away. Or like, all right, I put up this draft PR in case this is the problem and you have to use it. Here you go. And just like keeping an eye on it and sitting there with my cup of coffee. And like you say, like out of that, like I have so much respect and people who I thought were going to yell at me were so nice. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, I did nothing. I was just there. I mean, I gave you my tiny pieces of information that I thought were useless, but people I think are really grateful when you do that, when you're just like clear, like, I'm here, I'm echoing back my understanding, you know, like at Sin City Ruby, when they're talking about that, I echo back. Okay. This is the problem. Do we need this person? Okay. This person's on it. And then a few DMs. So I have a second. So like the person who's a bit more senior and experienced than me, who helps when I need it, when I'm on call and I was DMing them and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Tell me if you need anything. It's like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Not a big deal. This is totally normal. I'm like, okay, thank you. But now I feel closer to that person having gone through it. And it probably wasn't even a big deal, right, Brittany? But you really touched off a thought point there with me when you said about how incidents can be bonding for people. Yeah. If I had to guess, Nick, I wouldn't have thought that you'd be in the on-call rotation. So I actually think that choice is rather interesting. It probably gives you a lot more empathy to the product engineers, because in some ways I could see your role being a bit siloed from the rest of the team. I can't say too much about the nature of it. It's not a formal call role. I guess what I can say is we're making sure that we have certain types of rotations. Do you have the term ATC? Do you know what I'm no, talking No, what is that? Air traffic controller. So uh-huh. like we would own a lot of things. And I think that is public information. So mm-hmm. like a lot of gems that you would see that were public under Shopify would be owned by my team. I don't think that's a secret. And so like there's a lot of responsibilities and there's the risk that if we just let things be that knowledge around those things could get siloed to a couple of people. But having somebody in this kind of role where like for the week you're not on your project work and you're doing what's needed and you're doing the ATC stuff, it's really good context building for the entire team. And people are learning so much right now with this. And and I really get excited when I have that. But it's not on call in the traditional sense, right? I've been on other teams where I've had on call where like pager duty 2 a.m., that kind of stuff. That wouldn't necessarily be part of this. Have you ever seen a gem incident? Like, I'm curious if that's a thing because there's been situations in the past where someone pushed a bad version of a gem, they yank it, it breaks other people's applications. Have you ever seen something like that? And also, do you go through like a formal release process for all the gems that Shopify owns? Yeah, if you go and look, you can see where they get bumped and the versions and what's treated on a per gem basis, just traditional kind of releasing. There have been conversations internally about how we rely on gems and the security, like you say, about things getting yanked and if it gets past CI and Dependabot, but somebody puts something nefarious on Ruby gems. And I think there are ongoing discussions about that that are a bit internal, but I think that's something that anybody could talk about. Absolutely. If you're a big enough org, is there a way that you can allow list gems first? And yes, that's an extra bit of bureaucracy that 99.9% of companies don't care about. But if you have like a dependabot, say, oh, patch version of some teeny gem you forgot you had, and then it has like a crypto miner in it, but it's so small that nobody caught it. Yeah, that kind of stuff is absolutely scary just because you can innocently upgrade and then just include this like nefarious package. I know that Ruby Central is investing into security around Ruby gems, which is great. And I know that's being backed by Shopify. Yeah. 
Sorry, and I want to shout out Ruby Dependency Security Team under the Ruby and Rails Infrastructure Team. Some absolutely fantastic people. I can't name them all, but Shock Chester, Jenny Shen, some of those folks. And they literally are working full time on doing that. And like they've just released, there's a great article about something that shipped for Ruby Gems with... WebAuthn? WebAuthn, thank you. And I will say like, even though we think about these things, I'm very pleased that Ruby Dependency Security and those sorts of folks spend their career agonizing over this and making it better for not just us, but everyone. So yeah, we are lucky to have that. I agree. We should totally have them on the show. I think that would be a great episode. 100%. I will send some DMs. Wonderful. There you go. There's my rant. Oh God. <laughs> we just talked about incidents and then like, whoop, there's the whole show, right? Yep. That's the magic of you and me getting together. We always have a plan for where we're going to go and we go somewhere completely different. But one thing that I did want to make sure that I covered today, Nick, you know, I love to snipe at your tweets. You're one of my favorite tweeters. And it looks like you've been working on something called our chat. I'm curious, like how that's going, if you could explain to the listeners, like basically what you're working on. Absolutely. I love building things. And sometimes it's like, I read an about page the other day that I really liked. What was the line? It's like, why? And it said, because before we couldn't and now we can. I, I really like that. So the why, like there's ways that we can chat. Why is Nick building this? But the TLDR on it is it is I'm working on. So it's not like a shipped thing. I am working on a desktop native chat client written 100% in Ruby. So. A little bit more about it, I guess. If you don't mind me taking a minute to talk about why I got here and the technical bits about it. that might Absolutely. Be I love a good origin story, Nick. All right. All right. So listen, I'm not really saying this part on Twitter because I've realized, so this is not safe for Twitter. No, but I realized that the things that I get excited about aren't always the things that other people get excited about. So I literally thought that this was a boring idea. And then like everyone liked it and retweeted it and wanted to know when they could get it. And I thought that was amazing because it's the power of product. I mean, you have the podcast called The Art of Product and we can get away from that. So I think about the tooling and what is this called? The Ruby on Rails podcast, right? It's not called the car registration podcast, but there might be car registration tooling built on Rails, right? But that's the product. That's the beauty of it. So I'm obsessing with Scarpe, which is allowing us to build native desktop applications in Ruby using Wise Shoes DSL. And that's going to excite some people. But at the end of the day, the really exciting thing is giving people applications that they just run on their machine, whether or not they have Ruby. So when I think about what I do in my Scarpe time, because it's my own time, it's not during work, it's evenings, weekends. I think, what's the best way to spend my time today? So sometimes I spike on things. Sometimes I add features. Sometimes I do documentation or watch talks. But this, I was like, I need to spend time building a thing. So I'm like, yeah, I need to just keep building things and be like, hey, look at what I built. So my initial idea was I was thinking about my grand picture. Brittany, have you ever heard? I think there's a social network that people who are off grid could use. Oh, yes. It's some sort of texting protocol, right? Yeah, I don't know what the back end stuff is. I have to look. The way I remember is like 10 years ago, but like you'd be at sea on your boat for like weeks, but you'd open your laptop and you could go and like like posts and post a picture and post a blog and comment and stuff. But then when you got back into Wi-Fi, it would sync everything. Oh, I don't know how you keep all this data. It might be huge. But like in your little group of friends, every comment you did would then post to their posts, everything you posted up and then you'd get all the updates from theirs. And then you could browse it at your leisure, but you could take it with you offline. So I was like, without having a server, I'd love to have a little thing where people could do 
comments and posts and things like that and browse it. But then when they're online, it syncs back on. But to start that, I thought, what's the simplest thing I could do? All right, somebody writes something in a text box and click send. That renders in the box. Cool, I can do that. And then what's the next thing that we want? Well, we want to send that to a server, probably. And let's just for the sake of argument, let people pick their server and the client. And then the server will take it and add it to their database, add the comment. And then other people, when their clients open, will listen to the server. And probably for starters, it would only... You know, like IRC that would only give you stuff as it comes out. So if you're online and Bob sends a message, you get it in your client. But then longer term, I'm thinking like maybe we'll render the last 10, you know, like a SQL query. And I'll probably start out really boring, just like Rails, SQL, stuff like that. But there may be things that benefit from alternative tooling. But I'm really starting probably the wrong way, bare bones, whatever. But what I'd like to do before I ship it is have it where... I have a server that I've probably deployed myself on Hatchbox that can take these requests that are baked into the application. People go in and they, they'll probably be hard-coded like schwadserver.com slash schwad main. But then the other idea that would be easy to implement is if people change the path name after the forward slash, that they could have their own chats. So mm-hmm. if I just had one called ROR podcast and then maybe like a hex after it, then that would literally just do like where statements and stuff and like keep it to that scope. And then people could have the chat about Ruby on Rails podcast. And I could see that being like literally a one hour feature after the first bit's done. So it's very fun to do. And I'd love to get it packaged. I don't know if I'll be able to package it yet, but I think I can. I haven't explored it. And the joke is Eric Berry. I don't know if you know him, but. Love Eric Berry. Yeah. He said, oh, I'd love to try it out. And like, all right, when 0.0.0.0.1 RC is out, I'll let you know. And then someone said, oh, on CD-ROM. And I'm like, a sick part of me wants to distribute this on floppy disk. <laughs> I think I could. I've I looked it up. I can. Andrew Culver had floppy disks on all the Rails SAS conference badges. I think you can absolutely pull that off. And oh, I know yes. that you're probably taking a little inspiration from Jason Sweat, at like yes. physically mailing his newsletter. <laughs> I would invest depending on budgets and work and everything. But I'm at the point in my career that I could see sinking a couple hundred and to just, all right, there's a hundred copies of this version of my client. And then obviously people can like upload it and hijack it and share it and stuff. But I think it would be cool like to get a little box or a little letter and like a floppy and like, here's the server, looking forward to chatting with you. But it's, yeah, I definitely see it as something. I'm on holiday next week, but like when I'm back, I could see it as something that could just exist. And like people liked it, Brittany. So maybe, yeah, we'll put it out there. I think the point here is we're not trying to create new novel apps that haven't existed before. We're trying to create and also trying to promote Scarpe. I think if people see the code for this, then they'd be like, oh, if I just change these three things a little bit, I can make this thing that I want to make, but they can see the code. No, I like that because when you can collaborate with others, if you can get your own chat up and you can like talk to your friends and whatnot, brings a bit of excitement to it as opposed to just running a thing and being like, oh, it works. You're talking to someone who spent a lot of their childhood going to CompUSA, getting those floppy disks, downloading video games. I love that. I don't know how I would get floppy material onto my laptop, I guess is my only question, Nick. Like, Yeah, I think there's a dongle. Someone online said they tried it out and it did work, but someone said it's not guaranteed to work. So I'd test it out here first, but this is the start. And then you can see on the back of this, A few other things that I think would be even easier to build. So I thought for my own self, our letter would be good. So you'd have a config where you put API key or something, but I just like a desktop app 
where I could type in an address and some text and hit send and it would do a handwritten letter to someone. And there are APIs for that. And I think it'd be really cool if I like went to a restaurant and enjoyed it, found their address online and sent them a handwritten letter from my computer through my app. And, or like sent you a thank you letter for having me on the show or something like that. But then the other thing is just the things we can build. Another rich area I'm interested in is think of all the crazy command line commands that you have copy pasted somewhere, like how to use said and like all these things that Mm -hmm. could just be a desktop app. Like, oh, let's find and change file names in bulk. You just make the shell out command that's really gnarly to remember all the flags and do a nice little GUI. So... How did you know I have an embarrassing note that says helpful Git commands that I copy and paste all the time? I mean, what do you think I use ChatGPT for all day long? It's like, what's the right command in the terminal for this thing again? Or I've definitely asked it about Git too. And I, in fact, had ChatGPT make me aliases for tricky Git things to like revert one directory of one commit and alias it. So you just type git revert directory name. That is so cool. And speaking of chat GPT, I just found out that we have budget at Shogun for chat GPT plus. I can give licenses to the engineers, which is such a different reaction because I know there's a ton of companies that are like, oh, chat GPT, like it's going to like completely eliminate jobs. It's a helper and it's just going to keep getting smarter and smarter. And if you're not trying it, like you're falling behind. Oh, that's so great to hear. It's one of those things where... We don't realize the leverage that we have by when we had Google. We don't realize that it's hard for most of us to remember. I'm just old enough to remember what it was like to not have information. And then Google changed that. And it was, wow, like we just have the information now. So that's early 2000s. And then 2011 was the turning point where smartphones became ubiquitous, I think. And now we don't really think about how crazy it is that I can just like book a table for a restaurant while I'm in the woods or like check the weather. And so I think this is the same thing. The Stack Overflow was helpful for us, but like, I don't have to tell you to use Google and I don't have to tell you to look at your phone to check a tweet. You just do it. I see that chat GPT slipping into that role just very quickly. It's just like, it's the same amount of impact, if not more, but it's just, it's surprising how quick it is compared to, you know, Google was around a long time before like everyone had a computer and used it, right? Well, my last question around our chat is, no, we talked about what inspired you to do it, but has implementing our chat using Scarpe caused you to make any code changes to Scarpe? Hasn't yet, but it's That's definitely, good. yeah, it's, but it's definitely opened my eyes for, there's so many things I have to learn, Brittany. So like I have to learn what it means to be develop GUIs on desktop and because that's a whole new world that's not web and ancient and it has a lot of things. But then I also have to learn, and I keep forgetting, how to write shoes. I have to learn to be a good shoes engineer like I would be a good Rails engineer. And if I'm just looking at one bit of API at a time, but I can't tell you what an elegant desktop that has a certain image should look and how you should structure it and put it together, it's a bit silly. So yeah, it's quite exciting. In fact, we had some contact with the old maintainers of shoes who still have the authority on that repo. And they were able to give us a few helpful resources since I last spoke to you. So we are getting help from the community in a lot of ways. I'll check in next podcast, but by the time we speak again, we may have a few interns paid by Google Summer of Code working with us. So that's very exciting. Wow, that's big news. How did that happen? So Marco Rudeloso, who helped start this with me. So like we've had a lot of contributors, but I'd say myself, Marco and Noah Gibbs are probably the three who spend the most time on this now. 
And Marco was switched on with this. And I'd never heard of Google Summer of Code in my life because I just hadn't. And he said, hey, we should put this up for Google Summer of Code. I'm like, what's that? And he's like, I'll sort it. I'm like, okay, Marco, you go get them. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, we got accepted under the Ruby org. So it's like literally Truffle Ruby, JRuby and Scarpe. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Nick, that's so cool. I'm very aware of Google Summer of Code. I know that Google made a ton of cuts this last year. Like they pretty much got rid of all of their hackathons. I was nervous that Google Summer of Code would go away. I'm glad to hear that it's still well-funded because there's been a lot of innovation that's come out of that program and you should be incredibly proud that your project is part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and we had, I don't know if we're allowed to say in proportion to the other projects, but we had a lot of applications. Well, I could say nine. So a lot of people wanted to be a part of this and were interested in it. And it was very humbling for me to like sit there on my own time reviewing applications from real people in the world who would like the chance to work on this for Google Summer of Code, who actually wrote a PDF and like sent it to a URL to please have a chance. So yeah, it's really exciting. But Brittany, for me, it just spurs me on. That means I can't really ease up and give up on the Scarpe thing, which I don't want to. I guess the last update I'll say is, or actually, I don't know if it's public yet. I think it is. I'm going to speak at Brighton Ruby and I'm 99.99999% sure this is what I'm talking about. So if you remember the Sin City Ruby deal, I'm going to try and have a similar vibe for this conference. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh, that's just going to be an amazing conference experience. Nick, well, we got through like 25% of the topics that we were going to talk about today, which is very us, very on brand for when Brittany and Nick get together. So as always, it is an absolute pleasure catching up with you. I think this episode alone has spawned so many other episode ideas. Listeners, please check out the show notes. I'll link up everything that Nick has talked about. But Nick, you are amazing. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.